The financial dads are not providing any financial, economic, legal, accounting, tax or other advice in or by virtue of this podcast. Hello, welcome to the Financial Dads Podcast with Paul Fagan and Paul Becker. This podcast is for all the moms and dads out there who struggle with life's topics, especially related to family and finances. Now here's my dad, Paul Fagan. Hey, Paul, how you doing? Very well, Paul. How you doing today? Uh, doing well. Fantastic. It's been another busy week. Um, going back into the office again uh, for this week as well. I'm finding myself in the office at least one time a week, if not two, uh, building back up. Uh, and it's been great. I think we talked about it on a previous podcast. I, I, I enjoy going back in and meeting with people. And, and I've noticed that um, here in the New York area, that the trains are getting busier. Um, the, the, the streets are busier. I know in my offices in particular, um, you can't find a conference room this week in particular. Everything was very, very packed. Um, so we're, we're, we're getting back to whatever that normal will look like. Uh, Paul, what, what's going on with you? Ah, nothing. Uh, you know, quick little sidebar here. The, uh, the termite issue I had isn't really an issue. I had someone professionally come look at it. It's like, ah, it's fine. We'll treat it. Don't worry about it. Like, do I do it today? Like, no, dude, got time. Don't wait a year, do it soon. Like, all right, cool. So uh, that made me feel a lot better. For those of our listeners, know I was late to one of our podcasts because of that uh, very recently. So, got it. I'm glad it wasn't a big deal. I'm glad it wasn't a big deal. Um, Today's podcast is with Brad Sugars. We are going to talk to him about business leadership, coaching, and professional development. But first, let's talk about some news we saw this past week. The first news story was from the, let's see here, the Times Union, uh, Spring Clean Your Personal Finance. Um, and it was an interesting article. Um, talks about dusting off your budget, clean up your credit score, discard debt, automate payments. Uh, we'll post the story up. There was a number of, of bullets in there. I think for me, Paul, what, what jumped out at me was really around the tip on selling your clutter. I didn't really think about that, but that is interesting, and it's getting easier and easier to do. Um, you know, it was first it was Craigslist, and now with Facebook and such, I think people are used to you know cutting that deal in the driveway for some of that clutter you don't want to keep around anymore. So you know, if you could sell it and post it on several different sites, and someone comes by and picks it up, I think it's a good thing. Uh, Paul, what was your take on the story? So uh, very similar to selling your clutter. I, I have to give credit to my bride. Uh, she was much more adamant about selling some stuff when we were cleaning out a few months ago, just trying to get rid of stuff. I'm like, let's just get rid of this. And she's like, hold on. And she put a bunch of stuff on, on Facebook, and we sold stuff. So something that might have just you know, given away or, you know, thrown out, which I hate doing because that's really a waste waste, we were able to make a few hundred bucks or, or so selling stuff. The only advice I have is, Make sure your kid's not too attached to what you're getting rid of. There are a couple mm. things we had to pull down because one of our sons like, he can't get rid of the hockey net yet. Like, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> so other, otherwise, uh, you know, that, that's that's my take on that one. It, it was great, and it's kind of like found money. Very cool, very cool. Well, we'll jump into the second story, which was on, on the uh, the Ascent, uh, the Motley Fool uh, service. Three pieces of financial advice it pays to ignore. Um, so first one was credit cards will lead you into debt. The bank is the safest place for your money, and a home is always a good investment. So um, this is definitely, when I read this story, it was really, uh, I don't want to go down a rabbit hole here, but number three, we could do a whole podcast on that. Um, I know we've 
hinted to this before, Paul. I'm not a big believer that the home is is always a good investment. Um, I think just like anything else, um, it really depends on a little bit of timing, a little bit of luck, um, you know. But I don't see it ever as an investment. But we we could take that into another episode. Paul, what was your take on this story? Yeah, I think we'd have to do an episode on that, Paul, because it depends on the value of, of cash. Um, and they also talk about, you know, keeping too much cash in the bank, right? You know, with interest rates so low and yet inflation, especially in the past few months going up so much, you're, you're actually negative money. So you need to find a balance, but we could probably, that's probably two episodes, probably two episodes. Yeah, right absolutely. There. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, with that, we'd like to now welcome to the podcast, Brad Sugars. We are going to talk to him about business leadership, coaching, and professional development. Brad is a best-selling author, keynote speaker, and the number one business coach in the world. Over the course of his 30-year career as an entrepreneur, Brad has become the CEO of nine-plus companies and is the owner of a multi-million dollar franchise, Action Coach. Brad, welcome to the show. G'day, guys. Good to be here. Yes, thank you very much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. And I think we'll just kind of jump into like, Brad, what we typically do with, with, with our guests is, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey. Dang, you know, uh, father of five, uh, Australian, married a Boston girl, now live in Vegas. It's the only city in America fun enough for an Australian to live in. <laughs> oh, true. Oh, wow, wow, okay. Uh, although she did, she did live in New York when we met, so I convinced her that, that uh, Vegas is just flat New York. We have the same stuff going on, but not quite the same uh, museums and things. Uh, mm-hmm. I've, I've bought, built, and sold more than 60 companies, currently run, actually, uh, it, it was nine when they sent you the thing, but I bought a share of another company the other day. So I currently run 11 companies. We started another digital company over the uh, last year, so that's kind of fun. And uh, sports crazy, as most Australians, and um, yeah, 50, 50 years of age. So now I'm actually doing the the teaching thing, which I've been teaching all my life, I guess, but uh, seriously doing it now. Well, so what's, what's cool, your favorite cool. sport? I think I heard it on one of the podcasts that you were on uh, previously in another episode. Favorite, so. sports, uh, favorite sports, yeah, that, that really depends. The best sport to watch in the world is actually Australian rules football. Um, it's it's where real men play football, not that uh, circular ball one. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and best sport to watch in America I, I would. I love ice hockey. Uh, Vegas got a team a few years back, and uh, basketball. If you're on the floor, nothing beats basketball on the floor or ice hockey on the ice. So I'll be at a game tonight. Actually, Golden Knights versus uh, Nashville Preds. So. Oh, very good game. That'll be fun to watch. I'll have to watch that then. Be a lot yeah, of fun. Cool. I hope. That is cool. That is cool. And and I know you mentioned Vegas. Are you in the city of Vegas? Are you outside of Vegas or? Vegas is a pretty big city, two and a half million people all up. If you look at Greater Vegas, uh, we're okay. in an area called Summerlin, which is uh, right on the edge of the mountains. So we're about ten miles from the Strip as the crow flies. So we're we're in the normal suburban area of Vegas, which most people are like. How do you live in Vegas? And I like teasing people. It's like, oh, we live at the MGM. Every now and again, we move to the Wynn. You know, the kids <laughs> love it though. They run around the yeah. slot machines. Fun. It, well, it's funny. My buddy, I have a buddy of mine from a while ago, a long time ago. He's been in Vegas for a long time. He lives in Henderson. Mm-hmm. Hendertucky. Right? We call that Hendertucky. Is that what that is? <laughs> yeah. And he told me the same thing. When he first moved out there, you know, he kind of ate in Vegas like every night. 
right? Because like the buffets and everything else. And like, and, and I think over time people, you get acclimated, but it's still a, a lot of fun to kind of just hang out and, and live in a place like that. I can imagine. Uh, I, I visited him a couple of times out there and, and I'll put it this way. He moved from New York, never moved back. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, he, but it, it's like joking with someone from New York. How many times you're down in Times Square? Yeah. Yeah. Not that often. Okay, good. No, no, right. no we, go exactly. to, we go to the strip when we have guests, when we have friends in town, that sort of thing. And, um, I'll go tonight for the hockey game. I'll probably go on the weekend for uh, something else. But you know, it's 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 like the engine room of our city. You've got to look at it as that strip is the engine room, and it drives the rest of this city. So we keep right. we like it. We like the way it drives our city. That's for sure. Very so, cool. So, Brad, how do you go from you know pretty probably you know simple be- beginnings to eleven companies and you know, multi-million dollar enterprise CEO. And how, like, how, how do you, how do you do that? Where do you get started? You know? Well, you know, like anything is st- step one and two. Um, but <laughs> everything starts, everything starts with learning. Everything starts with learning. When I was 16 years of age, I met a man by the name of Jim Rohn, E. James Rohn. And he told me, you know, you'll never out earn your learning. So if, if you want to make more, you just got to learn more. You got to become more valuable. You know, you, People don't pay you what you want. They pay you what you're worth and what you can add value to. And so I just kept studying. He taught me to read a book a week. And so I did. And, um, you know, if you keep reading and keep studying now, now I've written 17 books. It's like the other way around. It's sort of, but these days I still read a book a week. Jim, actually, Jim used to say, no one can do your reading for you. He didn't know Audible would get invented. And, you know, (laughs) now someone does all my reading for me type thing. So. That yeah. is funny. I've been struggling to write one book. Um, <laughs> I, I probably do a whole episode with you on how do I get th- past that 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 block, but I'll, I'll leave that for another podcast. Um, yeah, tell I'll, us give little... you the, I'll give you the 20-second answer if you want. The 20 I'll take it. Please. Is, show me your book on one napkin. If you can show me it on a napkin, then your idea is concise enough to be able to write into a book. If your idea isn't concise enough to put on one napkin, then it's not uh, concise enough to write a book in it yet. Interesting. Very cool. Very cool. I love it. It's very um, funny. We, we use a similar methodology for some of the project work we do at work uh, for agile methodology. If fitted on the front of uh-huh. a business card, you're okay. Not a business yeah. card, an index card. Sorry. But, yeah. Don't know. try and make a book. Don't try and make a book cover off 87 things. Like if you try and make a book cover off 87 things, no one will read it. The book's got to have a central premise, a central theme. When I, I wrote a book for kids and money called The Wealth Coach, teaching kids about money, and my, my charity, actually, my foundation, the Action Coach Foundation, we take 12 to 22-year-olds and we teach them business. I'd rather, I want them to leave school and be employers, not employees. I'd like them to learn how to actually give people a job, not how to get a job. I mean, getting a job is one thing. Giving people a job, that's more fun. That's wonderful. Wow. Mm. Yes. So tell us a little bit about your guiding principles for business success. I mean, you, you've been at it for quite some time and very successful. Can you give us some of those, some of the, some of the highlights? Well, look, business is really about three main things. Number one, it's about people. And if you build your people, they'll build your business. If you don't build people, they can't build your business. And I remember learning, my dad taught me, at, I think I was 20. And I had a business and I went to my dad and I said, you know what, dad, I just can't get good people. And he looked me dead in the eye and he said, son, you get the people you deserve. I'm like, what? And he said, well, you're an average manager running an average business. The highest caliber of employee that wants to work for you is average. 
So, you know, you've got to become a great leader and a great manager if you want great people to work for you. And so I, I don't build businesses. I build people who build businesses. So that's probably the simplest thing, Paul, when, when you look at the first thing of business. The second thing is you've got to have a product or service that has uh, an ability to make money. You know, too many people go into business selling something they love instead of selling something the market loves. For years, people would always come up to me after I give speeches and say, you know, I've got this idea. It's the newest. It's the latest. It's the greatest. And I'd be like, well, but hang on. I get that you love it, but does anyone want it? You know, it's like Zappos made a billion dollar company selling shoes. Why? Because they found an easier, better way to sell shoes. And the third thing you've got to have is a thing I called leverage. And leverage, the original definition I learned was more with less. The mathematical formula is divide to multiply, like you break something down into its smallest parts and then you build it up to multiply it. But the uh, definition I teach is do the work once, get paid forever. So how do you do work once that pays you back forever? So, you know, I've written 17 books and I'm going to talk to you about your real estate thing later. I'm going to, I'm going to give you a 60 second lesson on real estate that might change your mind, Mr. Fagan. Um, and, and so leverage really, if you look at it, I mean, and we can use the simplest of examples in, in a business, employee work is work where you do the work once and get paid once. Manager work is where you do the work once and get paid long-term. Owner's work is where you do the work once and get paid forever. So there's, there's the three layers. You look at business success. You want to get a customer once and keep them coming back forever. Uh, what's a good example of that that everyone will understand? Um, oh, Apple. Use Apple as an example. Steve Jobs. Remember when he first started Apple, he got fired from Apple. How come? Because he had no leverage. They made, a, they made a computer once and sold it once, made it, sold it, made it, sold it. And they actually had a negative because they sold it with software included. So they had to keep the software up to date. Like that, that, that's a losing proposition if you ever heard one, right? So he goes away and buys this little company called uh, Pixar, builds it up and makes, sells it for billions to Disney. What did he learn? You make a movie how many times? Once and you sell it how many times? A billion times. So he comes back, moves Apple into the radio business, into the music business, now, he, Jobs is smarter than me. He's not do the work once, get paid forever. He's do the work, never get paid forever. Like everyone says they invented the iPod. No, they didn't. Sony invented the MP3 player, yeah. except the marketers at Sony were morons. They called it the MP3 player, you know. Uh, uh, Napster invented iTunes. They just stole everyone's stuff. You know, he went over and did it the other way. And, and here you are with a guy that sells music that they never make any music. They don't make a single piece of music and they sell billions. Now they rent you the music. You know, that's a whole other story of why they had to buy Beats headphones to get the rental contract so that instead of buying the music, you now rent the music from them because Spotify was kicking their butt. But um, yeah, so business, we can talk business for days. In fact, yeah. my, teaching, my teaching on business does last for days. So. Well, well, hopefully we could get you back for another mm -hmm. podcast, but I think we'll switch gears a little bit. Can you tell us a little bit about the 90 days to revolutionize your life, right? So what's that all about? I guess that ties more to the coaching, right? Yeah, so, so when I hit 50, I said to my team, I said, listen, this is what we're going to do. And I built a TV studio in my office and I said, I'm going to come in here every day for 30 days and teach everything I know on business. And then I'm going to do 30 days for everything I know about success and all the principles of life. And then I did 30 days on wealth and how to build wealth and all the things you know you need to know how to do to build wealth. 
And so I put that into a 90 day program because I said, if I can change your thinking in 90 days, then you can change your life. It, it comes with changing your thinking first and then change your life comes second. So it's just a knowledge dump, I guess, of a guy who's been reasonably successful. I mean, we, we have 1100 offices in 83 countries, so we, we doing okay. You know? Wow. Wow. So, so what was the catalyst to create the 30 X programs? You know, uh, two things. One is um, I've done everything in books. And the problem with a book is it, it, it's, it's hard to convey in a book meaning. If you do it on a video and you do it in, in live, it's sort of like, like us chatting here today is a lot easier for me to help people understand things than if I wrote an article for a newsletter, if that makes sense. I, I, I know I'm just more that way. And the second was just getting it all down. I don't know, Paul, at some stage, getting everything you know down in one place seems like a reasonable thing to do. I got five kids. One day, hopefully, they'll watch it, you know. So, <laughs> as, but as, as you know, well, my eldest is 20. I think she listens a little. She listens a lot around the money stuff. I'm not sure about the social stuff, but she listens a lot around the money stuff. The 18-year-old, not at all around the money stuff. Listens about the social stuff, but just not the money stuff yet. So, so I'm going to inject another quick question here. I just thought of one, you know, 17 books, I think you said, right? That That's that's amazing. And we were just talking about, you know, it's hard to sometimes write down and convey the message. Do you feel like, you know, the, the video, the coaching programs, you know, it's a way to use emotional intelligence and connecting with the people? And is that the better way to, to drive your message, whether it be home leadership or your employees, right? So yeah. you want to hire better employees. Is that what works best? Yeah, I think it also comes back to speed of learning. You know, it's, I can read a book on golf. Uh, I can watch a video about how to do better at golf, or I can go and actually have a coach take me around and play around with me and watch me play and give me pointers type thing. The speed of learning is really important, and especially in this day and age, you know, life is 4,000 weeks. That's a lifetime, right? 80 times 50 approximately. That's that's your life. And you spend, you waste the first thousand being a kid sort of thing. Then you got the next thousand learning about money. So, you know, between hopefully, 20 and 40, hopefully. hopefully you master the subject of money. And if, again, if you don't study it, you'll never master it. But uh, I always say learning's the hardest work because learning means change and learning means understanding new and and too many people are too afraid to learn and therefore too afraid to achieve success. But then when you look at that next thousand weeks from 40 to 60, that's supposed to be the best thousand weeks of your life sort of thing. That's supposed to be where, okay, I got money handled. The kids have gotten old enough. They've, now I can go and enjoy this thing called life. Well, you know, I, people like me are too stupid. I got a three-year-old to a 20-year-old. So, you know, here I am. I got another another 17 to 20 years before I got rid of the last one. So I, I got to stay very fit and very healthy. So. Wow. That, that's awesome. So for five kids, you know, how, how do you fit that in? Like, you know, you have all these businesses, 17 books, five kids, Las Vegas, hockey games, which I'm a big fan of, right? How do you fit all this in? Uh, three things. Number one, you have help. Um, you know, I, when I was probably 18, 19, I sat down and said, you know, anything that I can pay someone less than $20 an hour to do, I will do that. If I can pay someone less than that, so mow my lawns, I'm going to pay someone to do that. I'm never going to do that. I'm going to use that time to either learn or build my business. 
you know, allocate my time to the right things, allocate my time to the things that actually get me real results rather than allocating my time to doing things. You know, it's the old saving a wage will cost you a fortune type thing. Uh, I would rather spend my time, you know, looking at a real estate deal than washing my car. And, and I had a guy argue with me one time. He says, but Brad, I love mowing the lawn. I said, yeah, that's because you don't own a yacht. You know, <laughs> <laughs> mowing the lawn is fun when you don't have a boat. You know, it's like, come on. But um, I, I think that's sort of the first thing, get help. The second thing is, you know, kids are a lot more capable than a lot of parents give them credit for. It's, it's interesting. By the time you get to the fifth one, you're like, yeah, yeah, you ate dirt? Good, good. At least I don't have to feed you tonight. You know, it's like, it's, it's, and it's funny living here in Vegas. Everyone says, you got five kids. Are you guys Mormon? You know, I'm Australian. It's different. You know, so, but, and I think the third thing is um, making sure that you are very clear on your priorities. I run my companies in two days a week, Tuesdays and Thursdays. Wednesdays, I go into my TV studio and create content. I don't work Monday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I drop my kids to school basically every day that I'm in the city. And uh, I'm with, at dinner with my family every single night. Lee Iacocca said that many years ago. He said, if you can't have dinner with your family at six o'clock at night, you're not a very good businessman. And it was like, dang. Now, obviously, he said it in the male perspective, because at the time he said that the world was a little more sexist than it is today. But um, you know, when you sit back and you look at it, it's like, yeah, what's your goal? Well, my goal was to be home with my family. My definition of a business is a commercial profitable enterprise that works without me. If I have to be there, I don't have a business, I have a job and I work for an idiot. I want to build a business that, that makes me money, whether I get out of bed or not. You know, it's, it's the, the simplest thing is you can build a business that runs without you. And many people have done it before. You just got to learn how. That's why I wrote, I, when I, we had finished coaching, there it is there, that one, the business coach. We'd coach, that was the original version. That's uh, gotta be 15 years old now, the edited new versions. But uh, when I wrote that, we'd already coached 13 and a half thousand business owners to success. And I wrote, this is the formula. This is the way to do it. You know, it's like, if you're gonna learn something, learn it, understand it, find out how to do it and do it properly. Don't just half do it type thing. That's That's been my theory. It's like when I, when I found out my wife was pregnant with twins, first thing after I, got over the shock was I said, all right, Amazon, how, how to raise twins, how to, how to be a dad of twins type thing. It's like, actually, I was just listening again to Meg Meeker's book uh, at the moment, Hero. I don't know if you've ever read that one on being a dad. Um, great. Does book she write that book with the, 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 I forget which book she heard the book. She's really famous for Meg Meeker. Strong, she, she's, strong father, strong daughter, I think is that, the most famous. That's yeah. the one. I used to. Yeah. She used to be on the Dave Ramsey show a lot. Yeah, I used yeah, to listen yeah. to a lot yeah, of Dave Ramsey um, years ago, and uh, so that's where I think. And I did buy the book. I did. Yeah, she wrote somewhere a new one called Hero. There's one called Hero. It's on audio. It's on Audible. I've been listening to it again lately. It's just a good reminder as a dad. You know, it's just being a dad is is you know it's it's there's a difference between you know having a kid and being a dad. There's a lot yeah. of difference. So, yeah. But yeah. I, I think the allocation of time with your kids is sort of the most important thing. To my two oldest are at college, and if, if they don't call me every day, I'll call them. You know? Got it. Got it. Yeah, you're talking to two dads as well. Not, not as big a family. Paul's a little bit ahead of, of me. He's got both kids 
out of the house, essentially. I have an 11-year-old and a 17-year-old. One's going to be in college this fall. Um, you know, it, it's, it's been an interesting experience. But some of the things that you're talking about are, are resonating, not so much as successes, but as mistakes I've made, <laughs> so, which is okay, right? That's what you, you try to learn from these things, and you try to yeah. uh, move forward, and that's what I try to do. And I try to try to minimize the regrets, but I always know that there's going to be some level of them that, that I'm just going to have to be saddled with, but I try to kind of move past them. So, But yeah. that's also um, the whole purpose of this podcast is to share yeah. our mistakes and successes with others. Yeah. Yep. Right? Yep. Yeah, and that's, greatest, what we, that's what we try to thing, do. I always find that, you know, a podcast is one of the best jobs in the world because you get to ask uh, successful people how they did what they did. And you can ask them whatever you want. It's like kind of a cool thing like that. So, Well, but speaking of asking... Yeah, I mean, I want to go back to that real estate thing at some time. Oh, well, yeah, why don't, you know, I, I, one question, let's dig yeah. into that, right? So yeah. um, one of the questions I have is, and I know this is going to be a hard pick, but what book would you say is your favorite that you've written? Like, is there one in particular that, you know, stands out as like, really, this is, I love doing that. Okay. Okay. So can you tell us a little bit about, training. tell the audience a little bit about it and why, that might be the book that they would start with yeah, if they were to follow you and, 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 and take a look at your stuff. And, and the title. I, yeah, Billionaire in Training is kind of a cool one. But the reason I, I, I love that book is it's changed more lives financially than any other book I've written. A lot of the others are sort of how-to books. But that one there, what I tried to do or what I did was break down how does wealth actually happen? How do you, What is the road, the map to wealth sort of thing? Because most people are never – you know, I was never taught money as a kid. I was lucky enough at 16 to win the Rotary Youth Leadership Award, which they sent me away for a week's long training on how to be successful and how to be a leader. And that sort of put me on this yearn to learn, the love of learning type thing. And, but my, most people never have someone that can be their mentor and actually hold their hand and guide them in financial success. And so when I, when I put that book together, it was really about this is how wealth happens. This is the actual path of it because it's it, you, you just have to grasp those concepts. And when you're given a map, you can follow it. If you don't have the map, it's pretty hard to, dang, to follow the dang thing. So that's probably the biggest one. It's changed more people's perspectives. I was just actually on, the, on Zoom earlier today with a young man who – he read that book when he was 16 years old. He's 31 today. He sold two companies in the, in that time, and he's just started a new company that I just invested in. So it's like you sit down and you look at the perspective that you get around how to create that success. I think that's what I love about billionaire and training. Well, all right, so I have to go bring us back to that real estate thing. How are we going to uh -huh. change Sagan's mind here? Okay, so first and foremost, we, we need to understand the real estate property market and what it is, okay? So when you talk about your own home, okay, there's your own home, you're going to, so you're going to pay, someone pays a mortgage, okay? So in fact, let's go to investing first, and then we'll come back to your own home. I'm going to invest, I'm going to buy a house. Let's say I'm buying a house in the Midwest to make it easy for the math. And I say, okay, I'm buying a $100,000 house. How much money do I have to come up with, guys? What's my actual cash component of 100 grand? You could do 10% probably get a loan, maybe 20 with no PMI. Right? Yeah, let's let's use it as 20 just because that's what the average person's going to have to do, okay? You might mm -hmm. get away with five or 10 points on your own personal home, but you won't get away with that on, a, on an investment in most cases. So who pays the 80%? 
Is this on the personal home or on the no, on the, uh, on the uh, house investment on the house property? for investing? House for investing in. Oh, house for investing. Yeah, I, I definitely want to. So hang on, definitely hang on. Your... just answer the question because I'm going to take you back to your... tenants. Okay. Tenants pay the mortgage, right? They don't pay rent, yes. they pay the mortgage. And if people really understood that, they would be buying more real estate than you could ever handle. Because in real estate, all you ever do is pay 20% of the value of the asset if you're an investor and you have a tenant. Okay. And a lot of people are like, well, what if I don't get a tenant? What if I listen, it's 95% occupancy in most most cities of decent size. So, you know, the only thing that you can't rent out is stuff that's awful or has a bad neighbor. So let's be clear on that fact. Now you people can learn that. All right, so let's go back. If I'm not paying rent to myself, I'm paying rent to someone else, yes? That's yeah. correct. So I'm paying someone else's mortgage off for them. Yes. So I've got to pay someone's mortgage off. Would I prefer to pay someone else's mortgage off or my own mortgage off? Yeah, your own mortgage. Hmm. Yep. So my own home, what you do with your own home is you basically pay the future value. That's what a mortgage is. You're paying the future value of the home. So if I bought a $200,000 home, I'm paying about 400000 in mortgage payments. The house should be worth about six hundred by the time I've paid it off. Now, I don't have any choice. I've got to pay someone's mortgage. I have no choice. I have to live somewhere. So I'm either going to pay someone else's mortgage or I'm going to pay my own mortgage. Now, two things you can do, and this is what I recommend, especially for young people. For young people, I recommend that they buy a shitty home every two years, spend two years doing it up, and then keep that home and then use the equity in that home to go and buy another shitty home and spend two years doing it up. And you do that five times, you're 10 years, so from, from 20 to 30 or 22 to 32, you can do it 10 times. You can go from 22 to 42. You do it 10 times from 22 to 42, you're damn rich by the time you've hit 42. You've got 10 investment properties or you've sold them and reinvested and sold them and reinvested. But you've got your home owned free and clear by that point in time. Now, I can teach people hundreds of ways to do great real estate, and I always do. My thing with real estate is very, 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 very simple. Someone else pays for 80% of the asset for you if you're an investor. And you've either got to pay for 80% of your own asset or 80% of someone else's asset. And here's the greatest thing about that. I buy that $100,000 home in the Midwest. It doesn't go up in value. In 20 years' time, it's still worth $100,000. Have I lost money? No, I made 400% return on investment because my 20 grand is now worth 100 grand. Because someone else paid the mortgage. Someone else paid it for me. I never paid it. Someone else paid it for me. So I love real estate from that perspective. It's the laziest, best. If you've got a good property manager, which is one of the big keys to being a good real estate investor. But like, I, think of it this way. On your first birthday, your grandma bought a house. On your first birthday, your grandma bought that house and she paid 20% of the deposit over the next 20 years. Someone else paid the other 20% off. Your grandma on your 21st birthday gave you a house free and clear. Grandma's a genius because how much of it did she pay for? 20%. You mm. think grandma paid 100%, but nope, grandma didn't. Grandma's the genius. So the sooner you get into owning real estate, the sooner you do it. The greatest thing uh, from there is that for 20 grand, I own the capital gain on 100 grand. So if it gains by 10% a year, which Midwest it won't, Midwest is, it doubles about every 20 years. The coasts double about every seven, seven and a half years. 
So you, you want to be, if the coast is pretty hard to invest in, unless you got a ton of money, the Midwest is damn easy to invest in, but it won't get the capital gain increase. And you want to be somewhere in that middle, the Utahs and, and you know, Alabamas and stuff like that. No, it's anyway. pro- I love. I we like can spend lens. weeks. We can yeah. spend weeks on that. No, no, I like the lens you so. you put th- on it. I guess my selfish lens of is knowing my my purchase. You know, so I, I we've talked about this on the show, um, hmm. and we're going down the rabbit hole. Hopefully, not too far. You can pull me back out. Um, <laughs> I I we paid the mortgage off a while ago, right? Hmm. So uh, when I bought my house tw- in two thousand four, and now it's twenty twenty two. My house, if I were to sell it right now, is worth less than what I paid for it. And who cares? You're still not paying someone else's mortgage off. Yes, that's true. That's true. So I, I kind of saw it as a defensive play. I guess when I when I think of investment, I think there are people that think that they automatically, the house is going to go up in value and they're going to make money. No. Right. And I think I think the lens you're presenting is an is a really good, reasonable approach. I never thought of it that way, where mm-hmm. you might as well be paying your own mortgage, not someone else's mortgage. So I love that 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 thought process. Right. I mm-hmm. never really looked at it through that lens. And thank you for pointing that out to me because I would have been paying rent to somebody else. So I get it. It just I think that I've seen where people think that they bought the house and it goes up a lot and then it's. It's a great investment, I, which I, 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 that's Vegas. the lens that I'm kind of struggling with, right? Because it doesn't always happen that way. That's my problem. It doesn't yeah, happen it, that way all the time. There no, are people where the property where study, remains flat. Study comes into it. You know, our first piece of real estate, we don't know what we're doing when you buy your first piece of real estate. You're buying a house for yourself and your family. You're not trying to invest. You're just buying somewhere to live and you know you can pay it off. But, you know, ultimately, the subject of money, whether it's real estate or business or stock market or you know, these days, NFTs and cryptocurrency trading and all of this sort of stuff. The subject of money is a complex one. And you've either got to invest the time to study it and become a master of a, of a certain area of money or don't. And if you don't, then you understand, listen, I'm not a master of money. Money is going to be my boss for a long time because I haven't studied it yet. And so I've always said to my kids, you know, I want them to study money. I want them to understand it and I want them to be knowledgeable around that. And that's why from age five, our kids go to the bank on a Thursday and invest half of their pocket money. And I always tell them, you got to invest 50% of what you make. And my, I remember Kenzie, she's now 18. At five years of age, her teacher came to me after one of the classes one day when I was picking her up. And she said, I got to tell you this. I got to tell you this. I said, what's, what's that? And she said, we we're talking about what you do with money in class today, five-year-old kids. And they're all like, well, you buy toys, you go to McDonald's, you get candy and and Kenzie waves her hand from the back of the, the room, the teacher says, and she said, uh, Kenzie says, no, miss, that's not what you do with money. You invest it, then you get more. Because every, every day I teach my kids, you want more pocket money, did you invest this week? No, I didn't invest this week. Well, you don't get any more. You only get more if you invest. When you invest, you get more. And so that's drilled into their head all their lifetime sort of thing. And, and so, but it's a subject you got to learn. Same as being a dad, you got to learn it. No one, no one's born a good dad. I mean, we get given nine months to adjust to the fact that, holy heck, we're actually going to be one. You know, it's, that's, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's the reality there. It's like, if, if it was sprung on us in nine days, there wouldn't be a dad left. Like we would have run. <laughs> you know? like, nine days? No, no, none of this chicken thing. We need nine months. Uh, so uh, that, that was a great uh, 
a really great take on on the real estate and and thank you for sharing your point of view on that and and paul i i definitely feel that episode and maybe maybe brad will uh, come back with us for that one too but i I do want to switch gears back again here and i kind of want to ask you what would you say is the biggest financial mistake you made um biggest financial mistake i made um, I'll give you two examples. Number okay. one, when, as an investor, I, I believe you have to pick a niche and develop a set of rules. So the, the niche or niche, depending upon where I am in the world, um, you've got to say, okay, I'm going to invest in this because that's what I'm great at. I, I don't like when people invest in stuff off of a hunch or, you know, it's you, you got to know what you're doing with it. And so from that, I develop a set of rules. I'll buy a business if it meets these criteria if it doesn't meet these criteria, we don't buy it sort of thing. It's got to have these things in place. Mm. So the first mistake was I broke my own rules. So I bought a business that didn't have repeat business. One of my absolute musts in business is that you get a customer once and they keep coming back forever. You know, I don't want to get a customer once and then have to go and get another customer tomorrow to make money tomorrow. I want to get a customer and they're on an automatic plan. They keep buying from me. They keep coming back. That's why I have... Uh, why I have a commercial cleaning business. It's why I have restaurants. It's why I was in the hairdressing business for for quite some time, you know, because your hair grows back. You got to keep coming type thing. That's, that's the way it is. So I broke that rule. The second one was early on in my career, I trusted people with my money. Um, You know, I didn't have safeguards in place around my money and I trusted other people to be honest with my money. And um, let's just say that they enjoyed my money more than I did. Wow. Ouch. So, that, that sounds yeah, like I got to move back in with my parents. It was fun. Not. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I still remember my dad came in one day. I think it was the third day I was there. I'm back, literally back in my childhood bedroom. And uh, my dad walks in and I, I just, I'm laying in bed and he looks at me and says, what are you doing? I said, well, I don't know, dad. And he says, well, hang on. You've made a million before, right? I said, well, yeah. He said, well, then do it again. <laughs> and it's like, yeah. uh, duh, I didn't lose the knowledge. So I already knew what to do. See, your first million's the hardest because you don't know what you're doing. Your first business is the hardest because you don't know what you're doing. Your first kid is the hardest because you don't know what you're doing. And you think you know what you're doing in business because you worked for someone else. No, once you do it yourself, it's totally different. The emotional roller coaster of doing it with your own money. I meet guys and gals all the time and like, they used to work in a big company and they'd cut a check for half a million dollars because it's not their money. It's just the that's the budget and they did it. They go into their own business. They got to cut a check for five hundred dollars and they're just sweating beads sort of thing. You know, it's like yeah. the emotions are different. Um, so, yeah, you know, yeah, I could. I could see that. I could see that. Uh, and, and I think one of the things you touched upon it before, Brad, around your kids, where you bring them every Thursday to put money in the bank. So you're teaching them investing. Can you share with us some other uh, life lessons that you teach your kids, how it ties to, you've done all this different things, right? Mm -hmm. With coaching and investing and and CEO. What are the top things that you teach your kids? You know, besides that, that was a great uh, story. You you go every week, but is there anything else that you could share with us that you you do with your kids personally? I can give you a bunch. Actually, I want to write a book one day on parenting, but I want to get them all out of the house to actually commit that I've got, I've succeeded before I write the book. Um, 
I think uh, first thing, yeah, so let's stick with a few financial ones first and foremost. Um, got it, well, it's a financial lesson, but it's not really. You got to play a team sport when you're a kid. Kid that's not coachable is not employable. Got to get a job when you're 15. And I've seen all of my friends who are very wealthy not make their kids get a job when they're younger. And I've seen the result of that uh, or the negative result of that. You know, kids need to have a job. They need to have a boss that yells at them. They need to learn that when you're serving human beings in a customer service environment, most human beings are not that smart and not that nice. You know, so learn that from that side of the fence. Um, every, every dollar they saved until they were 18, we doubled at 18. We made that agreement with them. Um, you know, we made them buy, you know, all, all my kids' friends are all driving in ridiculous cars and I'm just sitting there going, no, you, and my wife, to her credit, she's very clear, no, 35,000 is a great budget for a car. That's what you'll get for a car and that's the way you'll do it. And, and, and do those sorts of things. College, we will put college on loans. And if you, if you graduate on time, on budget, we pay the loan. If, we, if you don't, you pay it yourself. It's yours, it's in your name. Um, so on time, on budget. Till 21, you're on my dime. After 21, you're on your own dime. The only thing I'll pay for after 21 is annual family vacation. I'm not buying you a house. I'm not buying you all the things. I'm not doing all that stuff because I would ruin you financially. The millionaire next door taught it very clearly. They said that uh, the, the, they termed it economic outpatient care from adults to their, to their uh, you know, from parents to their adult children. If you're an adult, be an adult, dude. You know, no, I'm not, I'm not here to pay for your stuff after 21. My parents didn't. I don't want to, I don't want to be doing it for you. So I think that's important. Um, we have five kids, so they have to stick together. We teach them simple lessons like, you know, uh, you know, the sugars stick together. That's what we do. Um, nope. Your family comes first. Your brother comes first. That's the rule. I don't care who your friend is. Your brother wants to play. Then you'll play with your brother before you play with your friend. Your brother will be here forever. Um, sugars finish what they start. I don't care. You started it, kid. What we do, we finish what we start. Kids, kids love rules. They do love rules, um, especially young kids. They yes, love they do. rules. Especially and stubborn one last ones. Thing. Yeah, they, they love the rule. They go, what's that? Well, no, the rule is it's this. But they don't question why is that a rule. They just go, oh, damn, that's the rule. Now, as they get older, I, go, I believe kids go through three phases. Phase one is what their parents think of them. Phase two is what their friends think of them. And phase three is what they think of themselves. Most people never get to phase three. They, they, they literally don't. They're still too worried about what everybody else thinks of them. I teach my kids what other people think of you is none of your business, whether it be good or bad. So that's, that's, a, that's an important aspect behind it. Um, yeah, and we do a thing called low high at dinner every night. Everybody sits down and talks and, and we ask the kids, what's your low and what's your high? That's, that's the fastest it. version There's, I can yeah. give you. No, that's great. It's <laughs> funny you mentioned that the, 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 the job at 15. So um, my son did work last summer, and it was a great experience for him. Uh, he worked in an amusement park, um, cashier, lots of lines, lots, and a lot of lessons learned. Uh, he came home with stories, and, and I would try to use those as teachable moments. So, And I've had conversations, and recently I had a conversation with a friend of mine, and that was one of his biggest fears is that his kids won't get that experience of working like in the teenage years, right? Mm -hmm. For whatever circumstance. And, and he, he loved the fact that my son 
was working and had a job and kind of went through the angst that you're talking about, right? Those long lines, waiting to take a uh, bathroom break, being relieved from the stand, whatever it was. I think one of the biggest takeaways that he came back with, and he was telling even friends of ours when they asked him, how's the job this summer? He goes, the one thing I learned is I don't want to do this when I'm 30. And no knock on the cashier job, but he knew – that he, this is not for me at 30, right? Yeah. This is great right now, but but other than that, this is something that uh, we're going to have to. Uh, so, yeah, I thought that was brilliant advice. And, Paul, I'll let you kind of ask the last question. Then maybe we'll, we'll give, we'll give uh, Brad uh, his time back, and we appreciate his time. We've monopolized a lot of it today, so we really appreciate yeah. it. And I was late for the audience. Uh, I was 15 <laughs> minutes late due to a kid issue. So I appreciate you, Brad, for hanging on for us. But, Paul, I'll let you have the last question, then we'll jump into our recap. Sure. So, so Brad, uh, what is the single best piece of advice you've received personally? And uh, maybe it's something you already said. Jim Rohn earlier, something Jim Rohn said, uh, I was 16 years of age, Brisbane city town hall. He did an event that I paid to go to. And, uh, he said, never wish your life were easier. Wish that you were better. Wow. You know, it's like that's, sales. That's don't profound. wish, don't sorry, wish, shed. Don't wish sales head. were easier. Don't wish sales were easier. Wish you were better at sales. Don't wish fitness were easier. Wish you were better at fitness. Don't wish business was easier or money or being a dad was easier. Wish you were a better dad. You know, it's, it's that philosophy. He added to it two things that day. And the second one was he said, work harder on yourself than you do on your job. Because if you keep building you, then life keeps getting easier So because you get better. And then he added uh, a simple one. I ran down to him at the end of the seminar. I said, Mr. Rowan, would you mind signing my notes for the day? And he signed my notes. And and I said, Mr. Rowan, what's one thing I can do to guarantee I'll be a success? And I already said it, but he said, uh, read a book a week for the rest of your life. I was 16 then, so I followed his advice. Not a book a month, not a book every two weeks, a book a week. I just did it. I just, and people ask what books. And at the time, you know, it's just study whatever you can that's success. I've written 17. There's your first 17 for everybody. Good. Yeah, there you go. Amazon.com. Very cool. There you go. Very cool. Very cool. Well, with that, we'll, we'll jump into the summary recap. I think for me today, um, it was all about paying someone else's mortgage, right? I, I think that was a, a, an excellent lens. Thank you for that, Brad. Um, something to kind of think about. And, and there was a lot of things that I could have picked, but when you kind of talked about that, that kind of resonated and hit home. Uh, Paul, what was your takeaway from today? Uh, I guess uh, there's some really great advice here. I, I can't wait to listen to this episode probably multiple times. I, I think the thing I like best, Brad, was your dad's advice to you, right? You're, you're a mediocre manager running a mediocre com- company, right? Because a lot of companies today are having trouble attracting talent, right? The, the talent war, they call it, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that, that just seemed to really resonate with me. Um, and how can I look at that and employ that at work and things like that as well? So thank you for that one. There's a lot of good tidbits here. Wow. Yeah, very cool. Very cool. And Brad, we'll let you have the last word before we close it out with our standard uh, closure. But if you could, you know, give us some takeaways, some last advice, and uh, and and please, where can they find you? How they how can people connect with you, etc. Uh, you can find me on any social media, Brad or Bradley Sugars, uh, bradsugars.com. Uh, yeah, I, I make it pretty easy. You can even find me on Pinterest. Um, listen, uh, last thing, if I'm going to say one last thing, 
the simplest piece of advice I give any young person I'm working with, and it doesn't matter what age you are, you're still young in, in learning terms for most of us. And that is that your biggest job in life is to be the best version of you you can be. Thank you for that. We really appreciate it. We hope to have you back soon. So thank you. We really appreciate it. Uh, go on YouTube, search for Financial Dads, and please subscribe to our channel. We'd really appreciate it. So with that, uh, Paul and Brad, I thoroughly enjoyed our discussion today, and I'm personally looking forward to the next one. Thanks, everyone, for downloading our podcast. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at financialdads at gmail.com or check us out on Facebook. Just go to financialdads.com. So with that, this is Paul and Paul reminding you, managing finances can be stressful, but that's why the Financial Dads are here to help you plan for success. Have a good one, everybody. Be well, and thank you. Thank you.